we've got earphones everywhere at the moment. I don't know, there's probably about 10,000 in here at the moment. And so we're just flat out doing that. Here at the Hutt Valley packaging company Packworks, dozens of employees are busy on a myriad of tasks. In one large room, some are assembling boxes. Others are putting together anti-smoking kits. Still others are cleaning airline passenger headphones and replacing their pads. In other rooms, more workers are making up toothpaste and toothbrush kits and many other packaging tasks. They sit or stand at large wooden tables working in groups, surrounded by tall piles of shrink-wrapped finished products. The atmosphere is noisy and busy with fingers flying over well-known tasks. For 24 years, Packworks was a sheltered workshop, the Hutt Valley Disabled Resources Centre. It was one of about 230 throughout the country, which every year gave around 4,000 people with an intellectual impairment somewhere to go, something to do and a community to be a part of. 47-year-old legislation underpinned the workshop's existence, as Sean Stowers from the IHC explains. 1960, the Disabled Persons Employment Promotion Act was passed. In effect, um, sheltered workshops didn't have to pay the minimum wage, uh, annual leave entitlements or sick leave entitlements. And so what it did was it didn't recognise the individuals themselves. Over here we do, uh, these are boxes for bulk packs of soap. Um, we actually hand glue them with hot melt glue. Um, they have to do at least 3,000 a day to, to break even on that. Here at Packworks, the employees all have an intellectual impairment, and once it was common sense thinking that they were incapable of working in the real world. It's hard to imagine that now, looking at the speed and skill with which they are working. Everyone in sheltered workshops received the invalid's benefit and up to $50 on top of that for working up to 30 hours a week. Despite providing activity and a place to go, the workshop system is viewed as old-fashioned, as much about containment of disabled people as work opportunities. Under a government concerned about giving disabled people an ordinary life, they had to go. Disabled Persons Employment Promotion Repeal Bill, third reading. Minimum Wage Amendment Bill, third reading. I call the Honourable Minister... Ruth Dyson. Mr Speaker, I move that the Disabled Persons Employment Promotion Repeal Bill and the Minimum Wage Amendment Bill be now read a third time. But the seeds of their demise came much earlier than the introduction of legislation in March. This is Morning Report on Wednesday, September the 12th, the day the world watches in horror as the World Trade Centre in New York is destroyed by an unprecedented act of terrorism. Thousands may be dead after two commercials. On September the 12th, 2001, while New Zealand talked of nothing but the 9-11 terrorist attacks in the US, a policy document called Pathways to Inclusion was quietly released by the government. It was to radically change the world of New Zealand's intellectually disabled community. The document's main emphasis here is that disabled people should be given the chance to live an ordinary life, the kind of life many of us take for granted. That includes increasing their participation in mainstream employment and in the wider community. Viv Maderborn, Chief Executive of CCS, formerly the Crippled Children's Society, says it was time for a change because, although benign in their intent, 
The Sheltered Workshops and the Disabled Persons Employment Promotion, or DPEP Act, failed to acknowledge the variation of ability in the intellectually disabled community. The experience for many people in being in a sheltered workshop is um, the good side of it is I've got something to do with my day. The bad side of it is it's boring, tedious and maybe even pointless. Viv Maderborn says meaningful work is one of the core elements of a meaningful life. Sheltered work isn't you know, a bad thing per se. It's just that the people working in sheltered work need the same rights in legislation as everybody else gets, you know, right to sick leave, right to holidays, um, and right to choice about whether that's the environment they would want to be in. The government agreed, and in March the DPEP Act was done away with. Uh, Mr Speaker, these bills ensure that disabled New Zealand workers have access to the same employment conditions, rights and entitlements as all other New Zealanders. Repealing the Disabled Persons Employment Promotion Act 1960 is an important step in ensuring that the abilities, potential, contribution and rights of all New Zealanders are recognised. The repeal is effective from November 30th, when workshops, now called business enterprises, will have to pay the minimum wage of $11.25 an hour. Right now they're in a transition phase, getting all their ducks in a row. Jubilantly watching the 71 to 50 vote to repeal the DPEP Act was Mike Gourley of the Assembly of Disabled Persons. The Disabled Persons Employment Promotion Act has to be the most misnamed act because it wasn't really about employment, it wasn't about employment promotion and it didn't have a lot of recognition of disabled people in it. And monitoring the vote from his home in Whanganui was Robert Martin, who's New Zealand's representative on the Council of the Global Advocacy Organisation, Inclusion International. It's about valuing people with disabilities. It's also about having the same opportunity as, as other people. For a long time, people, especially people with an intellectual disability, have been stuck in the back blocks and have been often the, the, you know, the poorest of the poor. And, and I think it's, it's really, really important that... Uh, you know, this document is a real change for the whole disability sector, but also for us. Robert Martin, who's travelled eight times to New York to work on the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Disabled People, explains the repeal is not just about the minimum wage and sick leave entitlement. It's what those things imply about the value of New Zealanders with an intellectual impairment. We will see a shift the old type of thinking into a can-do attitude, that actually people with disabilities can be trained to actually work alongside their peers in the community and actually can work for each other instead of actually having a bag at the kind of the street and looking for someone to donate to us all the time. You know, looking at the perspective of we've got people with disabilities here that can actually achieve lots of things in their lives. Pathways to Inclusion, which signalled the repeal of the DPEP Act, was the writing on the wall for providers. The old sheltered workshops had to go. Mike Gourley says the Act's repeal is a paradigm shift in thinking. We moved from a philosophy where we were talking about what work would you suit. So in other words, looking at you and saying, well, what do we think you could do? So looking at what are you suited for? What actually is going to play to your strengths? Now that opens up a whole variety of things because not rather than saying, well, let's try and find an occupation that suits you, you're looking at what, what are you interested in? 
what would you like to train up in? What would you like to strengthen? What would you like to learn more about? What are the things you'd really like to do in your life, in your career? And that just opens up a huge array of opportunities. Having seen the writing on the wall, some sheltered workshops have already become proper businesses which are footing it in the commercial world. Out of the Hutt Valley Disabled Resources Trust arose Packworks, a new commercial enterprise employing 41. Jan Gerson is the manager. Packworks is fully commercial. We pay wages to everybody and um, we depend on the contract work that we get from various companies around the region. Jan, what is the difference between the work that your staff used to do when they were in a sheltered workshop and the sort of work that they do now working commercially? Uh, the work is, is fairly similar, although the intensity is much higher, of course, because now we have to make money to make it um, to pay our way and to, and to earn enough money to pay wages, which is costing us about seven or eight thousand dollars a week. Um, so the level of intensity has increased significantly, and we've, we have to be much more efficient in everything that we do. Um, we used to do work to keep people occupied and provide training. Now we do work, similar sort of work, but to provide income. Jan Gerson introduced me to Lee, one of his best employees. What do you think is the best thing about this job? Oh, the job is awesome to do. It keeps you busy. It's good being paid. Oh, yes, it's good to be on full wages. Are you <coughs> saving up for anything in particular? Um, just saying if I can go out for holiday one day. Where would you like to go? Um, Rarirui. That's where I'm from. Another top performer, Hera, has worked at Packworks for two and a half years. What's her favourite job? I don't have any favourites. You like them all the, just the same? As long as they get out. That's important to you, is it? Yes. It's important that you reach quota for that day? Well, personally, yes, for me. Okay. Well, Hera, when you're not here, what do you like to do? Do you have any interests at home? Or? Fishing, mostly going to the beach and camping with my daughter. Okay. Is there anything that you don't like to do? We won't see young. Headphones, <laughs> <laughs> um, actually. You're not crazy about headphones? No. Okay. But we've got to get it done. Okay. If there was one thing that you could change about the job, what would you suggest? What we're doing at, at the moment seems to be working. The IHC closed 86 of its workshops, saying they weren't financially viable. The country's largest provider instead runs community participation services. Intellectual Disability Empowerment in Action, or IDEA, is the service arm of the IHC. Its spokesperson is Sean Stowers. Community participation is essentially a concept that embraces someone's whole of life, really, and what, what we're moving towards is understanding the individual's needs and then looking at how we can provide for those needs and aspirations. In effect, um, for those people that are interested in looking at work, then, then we'll do that through supported employment in the open labour market. In some instances where sheltered workshops contracts have existed in the past, we're assisting people at the moment to look at self-employment and cooperative opportunities. Other providers also offer a supported employment service, finding someone a job and then supporting the employee and employer in that job. One such provider is Te Ropu Torima Omanako in Otahuhu, south of Auckland. 
While it's extremely difficult to find work matching the interests of people with an intellectual disability, Te Ropu Torima says it is doable. One of its managers, Te Huri Hangarihari, explains how. We actively seek employment for our people and we provide the support for them while they're employed. Building relationships with the employing community, with the business community, is, is really the key to this whole thing. The government has also put in place uh, other support agencies, including WINS and particularly WorkBridge. And uh, collectively, uh, with ourselves and with the other government agencies, it takes that amount of resource to actually find employment and support our people in that employment with the idea of being moving them towards what we call natural support, where they're supported on-site by work peers. We do rubbish that comes off from the um, aeroplanes. Te Rōpūtorima found Trevor Coleman a job at Auckland Airport. He explains what the job means for him. I've never ever had a, a laptop in my life. No, I've always wanted one of those. I've never ever had a, a stereo. Finally got one and the TV in my own room. Yeah, that's all good. I've got all that. You know, I've got my own room. Well, I didn't think I'll, I'll work for it. You know, I, I, I earned it, so I got it. Yeah, I've got another goal. I've always wanted to go flatting to see to see what it really, really feels like. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to reach up and, and grab that next goal, just to try and uh, get me a flat. How I feel upset and hurt that. This isn't happening to my friends. Susan MacDonald is the national chair of People First, an advocacy group for people with intellectual disabilities, here preparing for her speech to a Ministry of Social Development seminar for Christchurch providers. Our name is People First because first we are seen as people. Our logo is a butterfly. After a long wait in the cocoon, a butterfly hatches, it spreads its wings and then it flies. Now we have our own organisation. We choose where we fly. We go at our own pace. We speak for ourselves. Susan is credited with virtually single-handedly turning around the Māori Party vote on the DPEP Act repeal. I um, went and shared my personal story with the Māori Party about where I come from to where I am today. I was in shelter workshops before. The people that I lived with... I did everything with them. I lived, worked, socialised and done everything with them. To now I own my own business in home-based childcare through the support that I had at Pofakaro to go and look for a normal job. So I just shared that with them and they said that that was what moved them because someone actually came and told them that had been there, that knew what it was like. It's obvious then that the repeal of the DPEP Act has already brought positive changes to many in the sector. However, a small but vocal group of providers and parents see the repeal as flawed and they say that in its zeal to do the right thing, the government is not listening to them. Peter Fra is head of the business enterprise Abilities Auckland, which employs about 90 intellectually disabled adults. He says not enough thought and time has been given to what the repeal means for the day-to-day operations of the new business enterprises. Traditionally, shelter workshops have not been strong financially. Um, it's not an easy business to run when you're attempting to do a social thing and a, and a commercial thing at the same time. And it's, it's a known fact that 
unless a, a person is 75% or more productive, they don't contribute basically to overheads. So it's very difficult to run these businesses profitably. Under these circumstances, paying employees of former workshops the minimum wage makes profits even harder to achieve. However, not every business enterprise will have to pay the minimum wage to every employee. Providers can apply for individual exemptions, which involves assessing every worker on their productivity. How many boxes can they assemble in one hour? How many kits of toothpaste and toothbrushes can they put together in a morning? How many tonnes of recycling can they work through in a day? Joy Ottaway, the chief executive of Auckland's biggest provider, Workforce Auckland, says the assessment is a huge job. We ourselves have at least 160 minimum wage exemption permits to issue between now and the end of November. We have, since December, put 1,100 hours um, specially into wage assessments and we're about halfway through that process and that doesn't include the background administration work. After each provider has assessed their staff on their productivity, Department of Labour inspectors audit the assessment procedure, making sure it's fair. Workforce Auckland and Ability say they'll be able to assess each of their present workers before the repeal comes into effect on November the 30th. But they're anxious about taking on new people after that time and what to pay them before those assessments take place, a process which they expect to take two to three months. The chair of Workforce Auckland, David Brown, explains. The way the law will work is that because we will no longer have a blanket exemption under the Minimum Wage Act, which is a good thing, we will have to get a minimum wage exemption permit. Now, when we bring a person in, we won't have that permit, so we will have to pay them the minimum wage. And then we go through the process of assessing them, seeing what their productivity is, applying for a minimum wage exemption permit, uh, getting a Department of Labour inspector to visit, which might take some time because, in my view, they're badly understaffed, and that might take several months. Now, we have to employ that person at the full minimum wage, even though their productivity may only be, let's say, 50% of that. And then, at the end of that, that process, uh, the Department of Labour inspector cannot approve uh, the assessed rate if the employee refuses to agree to that. And so we would have to potentially say to an employee, well, we've been paying you $11.25 for the last couple of months. Um, we need to halve that. Uh, it's not a nice question to have to put to people, and I'm not sure what the response will be. Peter Fra from Ability says he's also concerned about the tax implications of the new regime. When you look at the complications of tax and benefit rebate, they're very, very complex. And um, at how some of the disabled people are really going to understand these, I have no idea because I don't understand them and I know a lot of my colleagues are having difficulty. The Minister for Disability Issues, Ruth Dyson, says the sector's brave new world is still unfolding and such worries are premature. In my view, this is a well-considered, well-consulted change and now we are working with the providers to get into their operationalising of the repeal of the legislation. I went to a meeting in Christchurch last week. There are others in Auckland and Wellington to come. The providers seem very enthusiastic, very relaxed about it and very confident of their ability to implement it. So issues like what they're going to pay someone on their first day, how long they have to wait for an assessment, etc., I don't think are valid concerns. And if they want them addressed, they've got plenty of time because this doesn't come into effect until November. 
David Brown could not disagree more. Echoing some other providers' opinions, he says there was very little consultation over the Act's repeal and the caregivers of his 160 clients told him they felt very much left out of the process. And David Brown says he's despondent about the lack of knowledge of the issues that some officials display. I attended a workshop um, put on by MSD. Uh, We put specific questions to the officials and the answers were non-existent. And, uh, you know, they were on issues like how do we employ people under the new rules. Uh, I asked work and income officials about what was going to happen with the applicability of the 15-hour rule under the invalid's benefit. I I won't bore you with the details of what that means, but it's very critical uh, because uh, roughly 80 to 85% of our employees to get receive the invalid's benefit and the officials there didn't know what I was talking about when there were clearly a, a lot of hurried calls to Wellington to try and figure out what this was all about. The Ministry of Social Development says its officials weren't experts in the area raised by Mr Brown but an answer was given to him later in the session. Joy Ottaway from Workforce Auckland also says a to-do list drawn up with the officials from the Department of Labour two years ago still has not been tackled. The Department of Labour says it's in close contact with providers and their concerns will be addressed by the November deadline. At the other end of the country, parents of intellectually disabled children in Southland were so concerned about how the new legislation would be implemented that they began a petition to try to block the repeal. Their spokesperson is Marion Miller. The reason that we did that is because we found that the government and the officials weren't listening and we could see the practical flaws in the legislation as it had been drafted and also the assumption that sheltered workshops uh, were uh, economic units and making money when in fact they're not. They're places where people go for um, social therapy really. But Ruth Dyson, clearly irritated about providers questioning the detail of implementing the repeal, insists there is time before the end of November for things to unfold. I don't think that some of their concerns will ever be removed until the Act has been fully implemented. Um, So rather than spend a lot of energy in um, debating those issues with them, I'd rather that they just wait and saw the delivery. Other criticism about the change has been prompted by the IHC's decision to dump its sheltered workshops and move into community participation. This can involve anything from supported employment to group activities in the community. Ideas Sean Stowers acknowledges not all community participation programs are working well. We have our own struggles. Um, you know, we're a large organisation and quality is variable and we've just currently had a a recent review to have a look at that. Where it's working well, we've um, noticed that we've got some good staff who have the ability to be able to understand what's out there in the community and to access it and then to transfer those skills to the people they're supporting. So while we've got some very good practices going on in the community, we've, we've certainly still got some work to do as well. Mike Gourley of the Assembly of Disabled Persons says exactly how community participation services actually work is worrying. That's the area where we would still have some concerns because I think uh, this could be where people, I don't know, go for a walk in the park or in groups or, or whatever. I think we've got to make sure that if it's not paid work that people are in or training for work, then we have to look very carefully at what 
those alternatives might be. But I know that there are different um, approaches that people can take to what a person who may not want to work or be in paid work can do during their day. And so I believe that we need to move to more individualised support so that people can actually make some choices about what they do as individuals. It's a mark of the sensitivity over community participation programmes and their funding that a few in the sector would speak only on condition of anonymity. One leading source told me there are several reasons why many community participation groups are doing poorly. Lack of trained staff, underfunding and a wider community unsympathetic to disabled people. Another worker said the poor wages paid to people working at the sector's coalface trying to find jobs for people with intellectual disabilities means a shortage of workers. Anne Armstrong says when her 40-year-old son Jason's long-term voluntary job with the district council came to an end, the local IHC, now in community participation, had nothing to offer. And they said to me, well, what would you like him to do for community involvement? And I said to them, it really doesn't matter because everything that I suggest, your reply is, you don't have the staff, you don't have the funding, you don't have the resources. So what you're actually doing is filling out all this paperwork to tick a box. But the reality is you can't do anything unique with anybody because you haven't got the staff and you haven't got the money. Anne Armstrong says while the repeal of the DPEP Act has been great for the more able, it's left her despairing. She feels there's no one listening to her concerns over what her son did before and what he may spend his days doing now. They said, well, he can, he'll join the social club. So I said, well, what's the social club? And they said, well, we'll ask them what they want to do and we'll go and have a look at things and then go out for coffee. And I said, surely you've got something more to offer than just another you know coffee club or something they go walking and they have a morning discussing relationships and there's an afternoon discussing communication and and I was I was really I just <laughs> it's hard for you they just sorry <laughs> I just know that these guys have done so much more. I've put a note here that I can't forget how good it's been and I can't accept what it is today. And I, I think that sort of sums up how I feel that I know that these guys have been involved in creative, productive workshops, day bases, call them what you will. And they've contributed to the community and they've benefited and they've gone to work in the morning and they've made things... They've come home and they can look back and say, I made that, I did that. You know, they made toys and just all kinds of things they used to do. And now I, I look at them and they're walking. It's, it's, to me, it's daycare. This is the reality still for some disabled people. Despite the lofty aspirations of Pathways to Inclusions and the well-intentioned changes to the sheltered workshop system, there is a group who have less opportunity now to lead a meaningful life.